Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover the night The Rock came back and won the WWE title for the first time in a decade. It's the Royal Rumble 2013. Kyush, when The Rock had truly walked away from wrestling, did you ever imagine he would be the WWE champion again? I'm going to be totally honest. I was in the group that never thought The Rock would come back. And honestly, I kind of didn't want The Rock to come back, not only because he wasn't my favorite wrestler per se, but because like he had become so incredibly successful and had to fight the stigma of being a wrestler so much along the way. I was one of those that thought, like, man, this is going to ruin your reputation. Just stay in Hollywood, do your thing. You're better than wrestling now. And amazingly, it turned out that coming back to wrestling coincided with him becoming like a truly huge movie star. Yeah, it turns out that if you're a real star, it doesn't fucking matter what yeah. you do. No, and like he since then has just kind of rewritten the Hollywood playbook and he is I might truly be the biggest movie star in the world at this point. I think it's almost fair to say that he is. I think he is. I think he draws more than anybody in the sense that like if he's in a movie, I'm going to see it. And there's not really like I'll see any Mission Impossible movie, but I'm not going to see a Tom Cruise movie just because Tom Cruise is in it. Like, he's one of the only guys who draws independent of a franchise. There's a reason why they did, like, a a skit with him on Saturday Night Live where they called him Franchise Viagra. Like, like he would go into franchises that had no business making money. Journey to the Center of the Earth 2 and draw $100 million more than Brendan Fraser did. Like, it's just... I don't think he's had a movie yet that did less than $150 million at the box office. No. It's just incredible. And I think I've seen the whole catalog. Uh, the one with the ape, that was good. Yeah. Uh, the one where he had one leg and the building was burning down, I loved that. Pretty good. But yeah, this show is the story of three men and the collision course they're on. It's The Rock, John Cena, and the WWE champion CM Punk. And only two of them can main event WrestleMania for arbitrary reasons. It's the beginning of a lot of things. It's this entire year, which is one of the weirdest years in WWE history, especially as it relates to all three of these men. But also, I think this is the beginning of CM Punk leaving the company. Oh, 100%. Just like he gets left out in the cold out of those three. And I don't think he ever got over it. No. He has not to this day. I guarantee you he's still bitter about it. Yeah. And well, I think as we talk, we'll get into whether or not we think he has a right to be or not. No. But Cena and The Rock is just so much bigger than anything. Over the past year, since it was literally, I think the first one is the highest drawing match in WrestleMania history. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. That show did, I think, like. Almost 1.3 million buys. And, and they raised the price way up. I think that was like $80 or something like that. Like so an it, unthinkable number. There, there will, it will never be competed with again. Like that, especially since like pay-per-view's done. Like literally like that is the one shining last moment of drawing in professional wrestling. <sighs> um, so The Rock had returned to WWE in 2011 after he'd been gone for years. He hadn't wrestled since 2004 at wrestlemania 20 and he had made the occasional appearance here and there but he really at that point he he came back for one of the wrestlemanias to induct his dad and his grandfather into the hall of fame but he i think literally hadn't made an appearance in several years at that point and like you said i didn't know if we were ever going to see him again 
I had just kind of stopped thinking him as being a part of the wrestling business. Like it, it whenever it would be like, Oh, somebody's going to come in. It never occurred to me. It was going to be the rock. And for a little while after he first originally left up until like, maybe like 2008, 2009, that's all anybody said. It was like you with Shawn Michaels. It was like, Oh, it's definitely the rock. And like, even that it's kind of started to die down. Like people just had finally accepted. Yeah. He's probably done for good until he wasn't. No, he just shows up on raw as the host of WrestleMania 27. Um, yeah, I, I think he got the itch to feud with John Cena is, you know, they had said that Cena had taken some shots at him in interviews, which, you know, was probably part work and part his real feelings on the subject, but they had a ready-made feud when he came back. I almost wonder if rock the whole time he was gone had just been keeping like a casual eye on it. Like one day when they make a star as big as me, I'll go back and feud with that guy, but I'm not going back until somebody's there. I'm not going back just to go back, you know? Like, if I'm going to go back, it's going to be for the big, big torch-passing thing. And it just took a long time for it to happen. So he cost Cena the main event against Miz at WrestleMania 27. And the night after that, Cena threw the challenge down to Rock. You know, give the people what they want. They don't want to see us talk. They want to see us fight. They want a match. Rock agreed on the condition that the match would be in his hometown of Miami the next year at WrestleMania 28. This blew my mind at the time, and I think it's one of the most brilliant promotional things they've ever done. It's kind of funny because this has just basically become their business model now of like all feuds are just WrestleMania to WrestleMania and nothing in between matters. But at the time, what a stunning idea. Like even like the people in the audience were like, what the fuck? Like not tonight in a year. But it was so great because it gave them so much space. Like, The Rock obviously couldn't be there all the time, but you could get, like, 20 appearances out of him along the way, right? And meanwhile, Cena can do other shit but also be feuding with The Rock for a year. By the time you get there, the heat they built on this thing is massive. You just slow cooked it. You put it in the crock pot and it just slowly cooked all day. And they also, I don't know if WWE did this on purpose or not, but this is right around the first time where WWE has the ability on social media to go viral with things. Yeah. So one of the first things that they ever successfully get to go viral, well, yeah, (laughs) are these like Rock and Cena shots at each other. Because I remember those popping up in like every feed. It's just like on CNN, the Rock talks shit to John Cena. (laughs) Yeah. International news, Rock tweet. It just, it was something bigger, and it also felt bigger. We hadn't had two stars at this level feud in a match since 17? Yeah, I mean, there just hadn't been <laughs> stars on this level. And, like, John Cena at this point isn't as big as he is now because his movie career hadn't taken off, but he was by far the biggest star in wrestling. He was just about a household name, but not quite there. And this feud is really what makes him one. Like, he gets elevated to Rock's level. And then by the time we get to the next WrestleMania afterwards where he beats Rock, I kind of feel like they're almost on the same level, at least in front of the wrestling audience, which is incredible, because I never thought that John Cena would ever get there. So while Rock is gone, um, Cena gets into his feud with CM Punk. Punk beats him for the belt at Money in the Bank. Punk leaves. Cena wins the, you know, basically interim title. Punk comes back, 
they fight to unify the titles. Punk beats him again. There's shenanigans all over the place with Alberto Del Rio cashing in money in the bank. Cena beats Del Rio for the belt. This is a crazy couple months. Oh, yeah. Cena beats Del Rio for the belt. Del Rio wins it back. And then Survivor Series is a big night. Punk beats Del Rio for the title to begin his epic title reign. And Rock gets back in the ring for the first time as him and Cena team up to face The Miz and R-Truth. The real greatest tag team of all time, in our opinion. Oh, God, we love Awesome Truth so much. We also have to cover this show at some point. It's I know, I'm amazed at reading this that we haven't. But yes, so that's incredible. It's The Rock getting back in the ring for the first time. He looks like shit. He is not ready to be in the ring yet. He's in great shape, but he's just got like, you know how long it takes to get wrestling cardio. And for a man as busy as he is, I'm just not sure how much he's actually able to like work out in the ring with people. So John Cena does all the work in this match. Yeah. Come WrestleMania, <clears throat> Punk defends the title in the mid card against Jericho, beats him, of course. And then Rock beats Cena in the main event in what turns out to be the highest gross in WrestleMania in history. And that feels like a storybook ending to the Rock story. He came back, he won the big match in his hometown. But he's got one more thing he wants to do. The next night on Raw, he cut a celebratory promo proclaiming that he'd had a vision that one day he would once again be the WWE champion. I think they've already laid out the next year. It's like one of the few times they really did good long-term planning. Yes. I think they know we're going to do rock and punk at the Rumble. We're going to have turned punk heel by then. And Rock can beat him for the title, and we can do Rock Cena too for the belt at WrestleMania. It's just fascinating because when you do, WWE so often does not do long-term booking no. like this. This is how they used to do things back in the early days when it was just Vince and Pat in a room, like booking the whole yeah. thing. Like, well, it was much easier to do when they only had a couple pay-per-views, and but here you only have a couple pay-per-views that matter. Yes, like and that, when that's Rock's what... only going to do two or three matches, you can easily lay out what they're going to be. And in retrospect, what you're looking at is. The preceding 12 months literally don't fucking matter. Like, stuff happens. Like, things happen, and stuff is interesting, and there's all this stuff going on. None of it matters, because they've already planned out all the things that matter for an entire year. The problem is, from CM Punk's perspective, is that they have no plans for CM Punk after he loses to The Rock. CM Punk is just a way to get the belt on to Rock and get to Brock Cena, too. Yeah, it's like when they pitched the honky-tonk man on losing the... I see title to Randy Savage and they're like, and then you won't be seen again. It's like, Oh, Oh, I see. So I mean, in the, he got to wrestle the undertaker at WrestleMania. Yeah. That, that wasn't not, so bad. It's not like it's nothing No, but so CM Punk goes on for the modern era an unthinkably long title reign. Yes. Um, so the main event that night, Cena calls out Rock, but instead it's Brock Lesnar who comes out yes. and nails his ass with the F5. And yes. like, wrestling is back. We've got The Rock and we've got Brock Lesnar. That night is so magical. It really is. Because for it finally feels for the first time in a number of years like something's happening. It's also Not the just, beginning of the Yes movement. Yeah. Like the Yes chance took over that night. It's not just that anything's happening on the show. It just feels like wrestling matters again in a way. And it's very cool. Like, that was just a cool night. For The Rock to, and Cena to be the focus, only to be disrupted by 
the biggest possible deal other than the rock and Cena is yeah. such a fucking amazing moment. So punk proceeds to reign with the title for months and months, but it's always secondary to what Cena's is doing. Like punk does not main event any pay-per-views during these next, this next stretch until he starts feuding with Cena. We get Cena versus Lesnar, Cena versus Johnny Ace, Cena versus the big show, Cena and the Money in the Bank, those are our main events, while Punk is always in the sub-main event defending the title. Against absolute jabronis. <laughs> uh, Rock returns on the thousandth episode of Raw that summer to announce that he'd be challenging for the WWE title at the Royal Rumble. Um, in the main event that night, Cena is cashing in the Money in the Bank title shot against Punk. That ends in a disqualification when Big Show interferes, as Big Show is beating up Cena, Punk just kind of sits there and watches. The Rock comes out to make the save on Cena, but then Punk attacks him. Boom! Heel turn, just what Punk needed. The next couple of months for Punk are oh. the best work of his entire career. Like, he... Not only does he finally credible in front of this audience, and, like, they've been pushing him basically as a vehicle. Like, you can't convince me for one second that Vince McMahon really wanted CM Punk to be the top guy, even for a second. This is all just as a big thing that they can give to The Rock. That's that's understood. But he actually makes himself worthy of it. And, like, those mat- the match he has at Night of Champions with John Cena is one of the best WWE matches of all time. <laughs> Yeah, he goes on a great run here. It gets even better when they pair him with Paul Heyman. Oh, yeah. Uh, But he just, you cannot get this title away from him. He retains the title against Cena and Big Show in a triple threat at SummerSlam. He retains against Cena on a double pin at Night of Champions. He retains against Ryback at Hell in a Cell after... Brad Maddox, the crooked referee, hits Ryback with a low blow. He retains the title against Cena and Ryback at Survivor Series after the Shield debut and powerbomb Ryback or Cena through the announce table. Um, He retains the title against Ryback in a TLC match on the first episode of Raw in 2013 after... The Shield again interfere in the match. Meanwhile, the Shield continue to deny that they are in any way affiliated with Punk or Heyman. This is what a year this was. The Yes Movement gets going. We get Brock. We get Rock. We get the the debut of the Shield. All of the biggest drawing acts of the past decade all have their genesis in the same year. It's crazy. It's remarkable. And like they they were hard up for stars at this point because they had just kind of swung and miss on the previous generation of guys. And they like meticulously build Ryback during this whole year too. Yeah. Like Ryback comes out of nowhere as a thing. So Punk is set to defend against Rock at the Royal Rumble. They've got some pretty good interactions here. You know, Punk drops the your arms are too short to box with God line. Like Punk is on fire. Rock has clearly upped his game after some pretty shaky promos on the way in against Cena to WrestleMania. He, I think, has realized he needs to put some more work into it. Oh, it's absolutely guaranteed that there were people in his ear being like, hey, man, Cena fucking buried you. <laughs> like, And he did. I don't know if we've made enough of this point, and I'm sure we will when we cover the actual WrestleManias involved, but John Cena puts him in a goddamn body bag with promos during this period. <laughs> Um, they add the stipulation to the main event that if the Shield interfere, Punk will be stripped of the title. 
Uh, Cena's in the Rumble. He's still trying to win the WWE title, which he hasn't held since 2011, which for him feels like forever. Yeah, I suppose it would. Yeah. Punk has reigned as champion for 434 days. Um, it's an incredible run. I mean, the fact that I can remember the number of days off the top of my head tells you a lot about how epic it was. I remember the debates during this time about... Like, should we count it the same way we count, like, the Backland and San Martino runs? But that was a different era. So who are we comparing it to? Is Bruno it the longest champion for eight years. Like. Yeah. But, like, of the modern era, like, or, like are we comparing yeah. it to Backland? Or, like... Because it, was people the, were, it was the longest title run since Hogan's um, first, Hogan's four-year run. Yeah. People were trying to find a way to make this the longest run of the modern era, which isn't really a thing, but longest run of longest run for two decades, though, like that's yeah. something uh, it's been beat, beaten since by I guess Lesnar's really um, yeah, Lesnar's really long title reign was with the universal title. So it's still the longest WWE title reign of the past couple decades. Um, Styles held it for about a year, so he didn't get to 400 days. Which is weird, because you would have thought they would have taken that as an opportunity to erase Punk from the record books. (laughs) In their petty way, yes. He would have gotten one day after that, just so they could, like, take him out. But yeah, I mean, this this stands out to me as one of the best WWE title reigns of, I mean, the last few decades. I mean, it's kind of hard to think of ones that compare, because most WWE title reigns are not good. Well, and... Sure. I mean, the other thing, like, the longest The Rock ever held the belt was three or four months. I mean, did Austin have, maybe Austin's Austin's longest was probably only six months. Like, the Attitude Era, where they had most of their biggest stars, which was such a hot shot era that nobody had the opportunity to hold the belt for very long. I mean, Undertaker never held the title for longer than a couple months. Yeah, Triple H had that one time where it felt like he always had the belt, but actually he lost it like six times in there. Yeah. Yeah, he would he would drop it and he would get it back a couple weeks later. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was an incredible thing to watch. It was it's one of those things that wasn't necessarily super entertaining to watch, especially during the first half when he was a babyface and the matches yeah, were kind of eh. He really needed the heel turn. Uh, the babyface part of his run really wasn't very good. But it was just fascinating to be like, man. Are they really doing this? Yeah. How far are they going to go with this? Somebody holding... I mean, Cena had held the title for a full year, not that long before this, but, like, it was John Cena. The idea of CM Punk doing it seemed ludicrous. The fact that during this whole time, people were arguing, like, man, they're not pushing Punk hard enough. They're giving him the mid-card matches, man. That's That's such a burial. Let's put some things in perspective. CM Punk is a near household name to this day because of this. He's the world champion for 14 months straight. Yeah, the summer of punk was huge, and then they made him at least credible to their audience for a year and a half straight. They don't do that with guys. To the point where I think he's one of the only guys out there who would really mean something if he came back. Absolutely. Like, this is a longer run than Brian gets, even though Brian was hotter at his peak. Like... This is an astounding push to give someone, especially someone who you really shouldn't be counting on to this degree, really. And yeah, I think this is the beginning of the end on this night. Yeah. Do you think, do you think Punk has a point? Like, 
realistically, you can't say that you don't put Rock Punk, Rock Cena in the main event. But Punk's argument was that he should have it should have been a triple threat. Do you think there's anything to that? I think it would have added an interesting dynamic, but I just I don't see the point of messing with success after they've had the best drawing match in wrestling history. Why not just do the rematch? I agree. Who's, who's gonna buy Who's gonna buy the show because Punk? The thing is, CM Punk's appeal is to diehard wrestling fans. They are going to buy WrestleMania no matter what. Also, there's less than zero percent chance that Punk's winning that match. So, like, yeah. I mean, maybe if he carries the belt into it, then the he one th- the one thing that would have been really fun is that would have been his 500th day as champion. That would have been fun. Yeah. I mean, I can see the appeal of it. But what they do is so goddamn successful. I can't shit on it, and I don't yeah. think it. I don't think Punk's any happier afterwards than he is now, really. Oh, because he still he was never going to be bigger than John Cena, and that's what made him bitter. Yeah, like, it, and he's face facts. He's not as good a wrestler as John Cena. No, and that's like, some. We're gonna get so many messages from people about you saying that just now, but it's the truth. At this point, God, it's it's amazingly true. He's not as good a promo as John Cena. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. He's not. I... He's always been a weird fit on this roster. He's always been weird stylistically as a matchup with other guys. I, I don't know how to t- break it to you, but John Cena's better. Yeah, I mean, I, John Cena, especially by this point, was he gotten incredibly good. Like in the ring on promos, his character work. Like he probably was the, I mean, he was the best in the United States at this point. Yeah. I mean, thank you for not saying best in the world yeah. because you know it's a goddamn lie with my boy Tanahashi out there in the South Pacific doing it up. <laughs> uh, so to get into the show, it's Sunday, January 27th, 2013. We're at the U.S. Airways Center in Phoenix, Arizona. It's Sold out, of course, for the Rumble. Um, show does 512,000 buys, which is up pretty significantly from 443,000 the previous year. So, you know, thank you, Rock, for that additional 70,000 buys, which, I don't know, must translate to $2 million. It's actually kind of funny because people de- debate all the time who, like, the biggest draws in wrestling history are. And a lot of times it's kind of hard to pick that apart because, like, in the 80s, it's Hogan because the draw just – it was Hogan. Like, yeah. it's easy to tell how much he drew. More difficult for Austin because, like, he lights the promotion on fire, but you never really got a chance to see, like, what his individual draw and was. Business, Can, the big oh, thing is business didn't go down when he was out. It actually got even better when he was out. Yeah. But then we have this opportunity, which is insert the rock yeah. into a product that's totally normal – and it's what nice you get experiment. is an extra $2 million per show. Um, yeah, he's a draw. Because I doubt, I don't know what they were paying him, but I doubt it was $2 million a match. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck they made on that WrestleMania, but I guarantee you, like. He might have gotten, he must have gotten the biggest payoff in wrestling history. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, on commentary, we've got Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler, and JBL, you know, the team I most associate with this era. Um, uh, <laughs> it sucks so bad. JBL had a few funny moments that I'll reference. Yes, he did. Um, 
<sighs> on the pre-show, Antonio Cesaro defeated The Miz to retain the United States Championship. What the hell took them so long to bring back the pre-show? That is a really good question. I don't know the answer it's to that. It's insane. They went years without doing Like, between, like, when they dropped Sunday Night Heat and, like, I don't know, around this time, they just, like, didn't have a kickoff show. And it just... it. It's funny because the original idea behind it was to get people to buy the pay-per-view who weren't already. So, like, you tune into Sunday Night Heat and it'd be like, oh, man, those are the matches we got tonight? All right, yeah, I think I'll spend my money on that. I don't know how successful that ever actually was. But especially here when pay-per-view's still a thing, why yeah. the fuck are you not doing that? It's just a, it's a sales opportunity. Like, you get to hard push, sell, one last shot. Like, push that button now. You can see The Rock versus CM Punk for the belt. And, like, especially, I guess they didn't really have the network before, but you could have put that shit on, like, YouTube. That's what the, the, these were on YouTube. Yeah. That's when they brought it back, it was on YouTube. Um, and, like, that's such a, it's free. Go watch it. Enjoy the match. And then buy the show. Um, Cesaro in the midst of a long but pretty terrible run as U.S. champion here. This is... A bad time for both of these guys. God, the Miz is a baby face. This is a around rot. this time they have Ric Flair give him the figure four. They try with the Miz so hard as a baby face, and I don't understand do they it. Think it. The Miz, there's some people, there's not very many of them, but there are some people who should only ever play one role. The Miz is one of them. The Miz should only ever be a heel. Yes. There was a brief moment within that Shane McMahon feud. Where, like, he kind of did work as a babyface because Shane McMahon became an even bigger bastard than him. But then Miz went right back to heel because that's the natural order of things. Yeah. Just like, he's one of those guys who can only, you know, Goldberg can only be a babyface. The Miz can only be a heel. The Miz is going, this is such a shitty push for Miz that it winds up tanking and almost killing his career. Like, he very easily could have just been released a year from now. Instead, <sighs> He, like, goes into the workshop and comes out with Hollywood Miz and just annihilates the rest of the wrestling he world. For proceeds to become one of the best performers in the business. Puts himself in the Hall of Fame. It's At this point, that was unthinkable. Like, he was just Carlito Part 2 at this point. Opening promo is about time. The seconds between entrance and the Rumble. The 434 days Punk has reigned as champion. The 10 years since Rock has been WWE champion. TikTok, time's up, CM Punk. I didn't love that. Like, it was it was a good video, but, like, it's already so obvious that The Rock's going to beat Punk here. I don't—I almost didn't like having that rubbed in. We'll get to my thoughts on what should have happened here when we get to the main event. Yeah. Opening match for the World Heavyweight Championship. We've got a last man standing match as Alberto Del Rio defends against the Big Show. Del Rio was very abruptly turned face and then even more abruptly won the World Heavyweight title by beating Big Show in a last man standing match on SmackDown by trapping him under the announce table. Um, This is a weird thing to me. I have no idea why they suddenly decided to make Del Rio a face. And they do it without any real turn, as far as I can remember. I think, like, somebody was being a dick to Ricardo and he stood up for him, but, like, they did not lay the groundwork for it at all after he's just been a complete bastard for years before this. 
I have stood up out of my chair to talk about this next match, which I only do when it's something I'm very passionate about. This works. It shouldn't have worked because, like you said, they don't lay the groundwork for anything. I It feels like they just woke up one morning and realized with Rey Mysterio winding his career down and Sin Cara being a flop, they had no Mexican baby faces. So they give it a try, and... I hate to give praise to Alberto Del Rio because we will find out later in the future times that he's one of history's greatest monsters. And that's that sucks. Um, the things that he does to Paige, especially uh, fucking suck. Um, but just if we're just talking about this place here as a babyface, it just clicks in a way that it shouldn't. He seems like one of those Miz type guys that should never be a babyface. But he just has this way about him as a babyface where he's just like this athletic, credible champion who's very proud. And the fans who have no reason to support him, especially in a feud against Big Show, who is the Big Show and has about as much momentum and character work as he ever does here. But the fans fucking love it. The fans go nuts for Del Rio here. It's surprising because I feel like he falls into the trap of being too good looking to be a babyface. Yeah, there's just something about him. There's something like Bob Backlund, Pedro Morales about him, right? Where it's just like he just seems like an incredible athlete, like a proud champion. He's up on the ropes and he's waving to the fans. And it almost it's the kind of like white meat baby face that you think can't work in the modern times. Yeah. But you get to play some respectability politics with him being like, oh, I'm so grateful to be in America. America has made everything possible for me. But I almost feel like if you don't make it hokey, there is room for baby faces like this now, for like Captain America style baby faces. People do still want pure good people. And but what really makes it work is his relationship with Ricardo. Yeah. And this is why I'm constantly shouting, give this person a friend, give them yeah. a personal relationship. It's Ricardo all Ricardo is so lovable and Alberto always stands up for him. Like. Yeah. Berto's the jock who's, like, befriended the nerdy guy and, like, will protect him from the bullies. And it just makes people so happy to see that. Even though JBL, during the match, continuously brings up, he works for him. He's his employee. They're not friends. But it doesn't matter. Like, that relationship gets over 100% of the time. If they had given John Cena a little buddy, it would have worked just the same. And all heels have to do is attack Ricardo to get baby yeah. face heat for Alberto. It works just every works. time. It's amazing. Cole says, yes, you heard it right. Big Show is the challenger. Del Rio won the belt three weeks ago. Like, <laughs> they're just openly acknowledging no one cares about SmackDown. And, like... Anytime that you see the Big Show in a main event title match, that's how you know that that show's got nothing going on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Big Show comes out first looking very angry. I think this is one of his best looks. I loved Big Show for like this minute right here. Uh, Like with Sheamus was excellent. He just become this like ornery motherfucker. We're like, he's not like old man Big Show yet. He's just like, my career's coming to an end, and I haven't achieved a damn thing, and fuck all of you. Uh, the the Seamus feud is where he bu- Seamus busted out the giant chair. Yes. <laughs> the fucking six-foot chair. Um, we then go backstage to Del Rio and Ricardo heading to the ring. They run into Bret Hart. Uh, Bret wishes Alberto good luck tonight. 
Brett says Del Rio reminds him of a Mexican Bret Hart. Del Rio says Brett reminds him of a Canadian Alberto Del Rio. And then Brett gives Ricardo his sunglasses and Ricardo just nerds out. And it's adorable. And like Brett and Alberto having a conversation like between equals, like Alberto at the end being like, hey, man, thanks for doing that for my friend. Like that, that elevates Alberto. And in a way, he is kind of like a Mexican Bret Hart. Like, that yeah. is the kind of babyface character he's playing. The lineage, the incredible worker. You know, yeah. Going to be mega over in his home country. And, like, probably in all of South America. Yeah, just just this proud, athletic champion who can go. Yeah. And, like, yeah, it makes sense. I love it. The, everything about this segment is just pure. And then Albert, Albert, And then Ricardo comes out wearing the glasses to cut his entry yeah. promo. And also the entry promo, which had originated as something for to get him over as a heel, is such oh. a great thing for a baby face. Crowd gets to chant along with it. Um, I thought the crowd reaction was a little tepid here, but I think it's understandable. It would take a little time for them to warm up to him. Yeah. I'm not saying that they were giving him like a Mondo pop right no. away. It's pretty tepid. Though as he gets in the ring and he's like posing, like showing the belt off, like you can see people in the audience like, cheering like pumping yeah. their fists and stuff like that and also they're in it they're in the southwest so going to be a pretty decent latino population in the crowd yeah there are people in this audience who are way into del rio and other people who probably don't watch smackdown who are like what <laughs> he's babyface now he's yeah, the we champion don't, we don't fucking like this guy what are you talking about uh jbl rips on mil mascaras which is a very entertaining subplot of del rio's career we've also reached the the point in jbl's career where he's just like I'm just going to bury people I don't like. <laughs> yeah. I'm winding um, it down. Mil Mascaris owns him, owes him money. He stiffed him on a payoff once, apparently. Uh, yup. <laughs> Mil Mascaris owes a lot of people money. <laughs> uh, Big Show dominates early. He slams Del Rio. Uh, Del Rio comes off the second rope, but he gets caught with Big Show's gigantic hand. Oh, my chopped God. Just, just swats him out of the air like a basketball. You would not think these two would have good chemistry. It doesn't seem like it makes sense, but, like, they really do. Del Rio's big enough to be credible against Big Show, but he's also so athletic he can, you know, he can do the high-flying stuff. Yeah. So, like, it's just a really good combination of, like, somebody who can work with the Big Show without not being a threat to the Big Show. It's a good combination. Del Rio's one of those guys who could just kind of work with anybody. Like, just a natural... That's what you want from your babyface champion. (laughs) Did they only do this because they had come up with the idea for Tea Party Jack Swagger? Yes. They don't they did not know what they had. I'm not sure. I don't think that they intended for this to be good or for Del Rio to get over or for it to be effective in any way. They just did that because they have that idea. And it's a shitty idea. And it's such a shitty idea that it tanks Del Rio and buries him, and then they just turn him back heel afterwards. It sucks, and I hate it. (laughs) Uh, Big Show brings in a chair, but Del Rio gets it away from him. Del Rio hits Show with the chair as the crowd chants C along with him. That's pretty funny. That was epic. Um, Del Rio comes off the top, but Show goozles him and hits a choke slam. Uh, Del Rio makes it to his feet at nine and he immediately collapses. Uh, they go out to the floor, show slams him. Uh, 
They go up on the aisle, and uh, Del Rio kicks Show in the nuts and then hits him with a roundhouse kick to the head. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> right uh, in the balls. Takes, Show gets up at nine. He recovers. He throws Del Rio into the set. Uh, Big Show gets one of the fluorescent tubes. He hits Del Rio with it. Did you think this was going to shatter like a CZW? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? How awesome would that have been? Just like, yeah, what, what kind of bootleg fluorescent tube is this that doesn't shatter? I, I bet they had to have specifically reinforced it so that it wouldn't. Because I'm sure somebody has shown some, Vince some of that shit before, and he's like, no, none of that. <laughs> Probably hated it. The first uh, person who ever gets to shatter a fluorescent tube in WWE is going to be the most over man who ever lived. Oh, John Moxley when he finally comes back. We're just like breaking him over his own head and shit. <laughs> Um, show sets up a table. The set has like these like light, I don't know what to call them, like light panels, like hanging on wires, like show sets up the table. He goes up on one of the panels. He pulls Del Rio up with him and then choke slams him off the set through the table. This had to be like a six or eight foot drop. Yeah. This spot fucking kicks ass. Because first there's the thing of like, I don't know how oh my much. Oh God, how well reinforced those things had to be. I know, right? And then it's just, this isn't like him falling on a crash pad or like into oh. some random shit. It's one table in the middle of an empty floor. And Concrete. he hits it with his, he hits it with his shoulder and just goes through. This is a brutal bump for Del Rio to take. But the crowd pops huge for it. Del Rio again gets to his feet at nine and he immediately collapses. Uh, Big Show drags him back to the ring. Show loads up the big right hand. Del Rio rolls out of the ring to avoid it. Nitpick, that feels like a heel move. I think a babyface ducks the big punch. I very much agree with that, yes. Um, Show tries to throw the steps at Del Rio, but he ducks and they hit the ring post. Uh, show roughs up Ricardo. He then goes for a spear through the barricade on Del Rio, but Del Rio moves and Show crashes through the barricade. How obsessed did they become with this spot when they realized they could make this like barricade easily breakable? Very much obsessed. It became like Roman Reigns' whole thing for yeah. a little while. Every single pay-per-view this happened. And it was only ever cool when he did it, when he just like spear a motherfucker through the barricade during a shield match. It was inevitable. Now, this matchup to this point has been basically 95% Big Show, which I like, because that's getting Del Rio over. Like, Del Rio is busting his ass and trying his best, but, like, Big Show looks like a killer here. Del Rio hits a series of chair shots, including one where he drapes Big Show's arm across the ring steps. Um, Del Rio sprays Big Show with a fire extinguisher, and then he locks on the cross-arm breaker. Uh, as he's got him in the arm bar, Ricardo tapes Big Show's feet to the bottom ropes. That's a rehash of the finish of the man standing match. Yes, but I also love it. I loved it then, and I love it here, too. And also the difference is John Cena did kind of a shitty job with yeah. Batista. Like, he did, like, three pieces of tape. Ricardo shoot oh, uses yeah. an entire roll of duct tape on the Big Show. The crowd... The crowd chants in Spanish along with the referee as he's counting to 10. Loved that. Yeah. And by the end of this, when the bell rings, the crowd is way into it. Like, this match has kicked ass. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent match. 
This is one of the best matches in Royal Rumble history. Yeah. Very underrated match here. I don't think anybody remembers this. This is a match that is good enough that you should have run with Del Rio after this. You should have done more with Del Rio Big Show after this. Keep it going. This yeah. is something that works. Uh, they did They did wrestle again the next month um, in Elimination Chamber. I think Del Rio tapped him out with the arm bar. And then, yeah, it was Jack Swagger at WrestleMania, unfortunately. Jack Swagger. Uh, we go backstage where Matt Stryker interviews Dolph, Biggie, and AJ. What do these three people have in common? Uh, well, okay. So Dolph Ziggler has AJ because AJ out of spite has moved on to him from John Cena, from John Cena. Yes. Um, and Biggie is her friend, but not his, like he's AJ's bodyguard and just happens to be there with Dolph, but they have kind of an uneasy back and forth. I loved this staple though. I love the idea of it. I love that none of them like each other for real, but they're all just together because they're spiting other people. Dolph is being forced to enter the Royal Rumble number one because he lost a beat the clock challenge on Raw that was set up by his vengeful ex, Vicky Guerrero. It was never clear to me that that was a romantic attachment. Maybe I'm just not remembering that right. Um. Dolph was her boy toy to get back at Edge when Edge turned babyface. So that was that, two years ago. It was, yeah. <laughs> Raw had become so much about like ex relationships yeah. and stuff during this point. It was very interesting. It also forces us to remember a time where AJ was literally the most important character in wrestling. Yes, she was the GM of Raw before this. Every feud revolved around AJ. Like, the the title revolved around AJ for a, a, a long time. A love, I don't know, quadrangle with CM Punk, uh, Daniel Bryan, Big Show, not Big Show, Kane hey. and John Cena. Why not Big Show? I mean, why not? They I don't think anyone... Together. He's so much bigger than her. I don't want to think of the mental image of someone the Big Show size having sex with a woman that small, because it seems dangerous. As yeah. as Pat Patterson once said when he walked in on Andre oh, the Giant God. having sex, it's, it's like, like a, a lion having sex yeah. with a rabbit. <laughs> oh, boy. AJ interrupts um, Stryker and gives him a five count to get out of there. Um, that's a callback to Big E's five count gimmick, which I don't think anyone watching this pay-per-view would understand because nobody watches NXT at this point. I did though. Three yeah. ain't enough, man. I need five. Oh my God. I was such a gigantic Big E Langston Mark in NXT. It's just like the original ball drop call up from NXT. Nobody knows who he is. They don't explain anything about him. And that I, it just makes me so frustrated is that they bring in these guys onto the main roster, but they're so cocky about the fact that NXT is a good product. It's the same with Emma. It's at this point, and at this point, it's it's on the fucking website. It's a website stream, right? They don't even yes. have WWE Network to promote it with. It was actively difficult for me to watch, and I was actively scouting it for the block. Yeah. Like so, there probably there's like fifty people watching it. And so they bring him in. They don't let him explain anything. They don't let him talk. So he's super serious. This is literally the first time he talks once he gets called up. And it's a joke promo. Yeah, he does like a weird announcer, like newscaster voice. 
And now we know that that's who Big E is. But at the time, they're pushing him as a dead serious bodyguard. Dolph says he's going to go wire to wire in the Rumble. Then he's going to cash in money in the bank, win the World Heavyweight Championship, and he's going to unify it with the WWE Championship at WrestleMania. First of all, that would have kicked ass. That was fun. Yeah. Second of all, Dolph is on fire here. Yeah, like this is the, so good. This is the run of his career. Like he's beaten Cena. He's got this stable. Like he literally, if they were ever really gonna go with him, and for a minute it really did seem like they were going to. Yeah, now but because it's Dolph Ziggler, he just runs into a brick wall because the guy's snake bitten. Oh boy, <laughs> we'll get to that some other time. And then we get Rumble promos. Yay! Yeah, I was so excited that they had this on here. Um, Cesaro says that the last few winners have been non-Americans, and that streak will continue tonight with him. Wait a minute. Sheamus won it last year. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and Del Rio, the, Del Rio the year before that. Oh, yeah. And um, Edge in 2010. Hey! That and, absolutely did not occur to me. Uh, who won it in 2009? What wrestler? That's uh, Cena, isn't it? Randy Orton. Yeah. Boo. Uh, the primetime players do the millions of dollars dance. Yeah. <laughs> Randy Orton says there's no friends in the Rumble, and he likes it that way. There's something about Randy Orton in times like this. The perfect way for Randy Orton to exist is in like a 20-second bite like this. Yeah. Where he like turns to the camera with his back to him and the lights are on dark and he's just sinister as a Sclowers. motherfucker. Yeah. He's got like a Jake the Snake style quality like that. Just like he just seems vicious, sinister, like something bad's about to happen. Cena promises to win the Rumble and go to WrestleMania. It's his redemption story. He keeps his promise, so I mean, good on you, John. Wade Barrett says that he's already restored credibility to the IC title, and tonight he'll do the same thing for the Royal Rumble. Yeah, this is back when the IC title was something that the champions would openly shit on while they had yeah. it. I will continue. Yeah, Co- I mean, Cody was the one who innovated this with the bringing back the white strap. Yeah, it, it literally is not until The Miz gets a hold of it that this belt means anything. Yeah. The only reason it still exists to this day is because of The Miz. <laughs> Sheamus says he's got 29 brogue kicks ready to go to win this match if he needs to. I would love to see him perform 29 brogue kicks. Brogue kick everybody. I'd just be blown the fuck up. (laughs) Ryback says every superstar that enters the match is just feeding him more. I do like that idea. I would have been happy if this was one of those rumbles where Ryback comes in at like number five and just like fucks up ten dudes in a row. Yeah. I feel like uh, we would have gotten a gigantic Feed Me More chant from that. They recap the Miz-Cesaro match from the pre-show. Miz got a nice pop for winning. Or, um, Cesaro got a nice pop for the win here. Crowd was really into the neutralizer. It's a good move. Yeah. <clears throat> then we've got a WWE Tag Team title match. Team Hell No against the Rhodes Scholars. Uh, the Rhodes Scholars are the pretty forgettable team of Cody Rhodes and Damian Sandow. This is sad stepdad Cody with his mustache. Cody is like in between six different gimmicks right yeah. here. And like, it's like, who even is this guy? <laughs> who is this man anymore? Is he dashing? Is he hideous? Is he maniacal? 
he's about to become stardust. Like he's just yeah. at a weird crossroads, so to speak. It's amazing. Like when Bobby Roode grew a mustache, he instantly looked like a main eventer for Cody. Yep. He looks like a jobber with this mustache. Well, yeah, there's just something. There's something not manly about Cody Rhodes. Like he's always going to seem boyish to some extent. And I don't know, like now he's like a 38 year old man. And even now he still has like this boyish quality to him, doesn't he? Yeah. He just, he's so good looking. Yeah. And it's just one of those things. He's just got like a little boy smile and he's just like a dashingly handsome man. A mustache does not help that. He's just uglying himself for no reason. Bobby Roode needed the help. Also, Bobby Roode has a passing resemblance to Rick Roode, which yeah. is yeah. why it works. Um, Team Hell No, an idea that I think a lot of people, including me, were not happy with at the time, ended up being just wonderful. I don't. I need everyone to understand that, like, if you if you weren't watching during this time, you might not be able to piece together how the Daniel Bryan who started with WWE is like a nerdy shithead that Michael Cole buried all the time got to the yes movement. And the answer is team hell. No, this was the major step because he had turned heel. He had done his stuff with AJ. He was pretty much dead in the water. They had nothing else for him to do. And this team and more specifically, the acting that Bryan and Kane do in it is unbelievably good. It's some of the best comedy they've ever done. Yeah, it's a r- rare WWE comedy that was actually funny. It's great. Like, we had never seen this side of Kane. No. Like, I kind of knew he had, like, like comedy chops. He just never got to do it. But, like, the dynamic between these two, where they made Kane the straight man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brian is the crazy. Yeah, Kane the demon is the straight man, and Brian is the crazy one in the team. And people fell in love with them as friends. Like, the segments where they were teased whether or not they were going to hug each other would go on for 10 minutes and would be like Austin-level pops from the audience when they finally would. It was crazy. Uh, They've been the tag champions since, I think they won the belts back at Night of Champions from the very random team of Kofi Kingston and R-Truth. Yeah, there is no tag division at this point. Like, we are pre, like, New Day and Usos. There was, like, like a minute where they had started to build one. When they had Hell No, they had Sin Cara and Mysterio teaming up. They had Cody and Sandow as the Rhodes Scholars. They had the Usos, although they weren't, the Usos Usos weren't cool yet. There's the ghost of it, but there's, like, no interest in it. No, it can't. And it just, uh, for some reason, they just, it's not for some reason, they could, they didn't have the, like, discipline to actually keep these teams together for any significant period of time. Now, here's the funny thing about Team Hell No. This was originally supposed to be, like, a two-month, one-off feud between those two. Yeah. And it turns into, like, a year-long best friend storyline. It's... It's one of the rare examples of WWE being like, whoa, that's actually working. Let's actually change our plans and push it. Though they would have had to be out of their goddamn minds not to see that people wanted that. Uh, Cody and Brian start the match. Cody goes for a leapfrog and Brian catches him in a surfboard. Yes. Brian leans back to tag in Kane and King makes a super timely Beach Boys reference. 
I didn't even understand what he was talking about. Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. I mean, I I, I get I get that, but like Surfboard. where Beach. Oh, that's <laughs> that's a bad reference, guys. There's a worse one in a minute here. Oh um, boy. Sandow gets beaten up by Kane. Kane tags out to Brian. Uh, JBL spends most of the match ranting about Dr. Shelby being a quack and King and Cole hugging each other on Raw. They had only recently settled their feud. I guess we should mention that in October, Jerry Lawler had a heart attack on Raw. Yes, and Michael Cole is on camera by himself and has to tell them, because it literally happens during like a commercial break. And like literally... Then they come back. Michael Cole has to tell people, even though he just saw Jerry Lawler have a heart attack and yeah. get wheeled out. And he's so emotional and he's yeah. so sincere that it turns him babyface immediately. Yeah. Finally, thankfully, our long nightmare of heel Cole dominating these shows was over. The best thing about this, though, is that Cole has now come through that into a new place where he actually has a personality. Like yeah. he's not he's not just old stodgy Cole the play by play guy anymore. Now he's like busting on the other two and like yeah. he cracks some jokes and like feels like he's actually like gained his confidence and like he's gained the respect of the audience now. Yeah. Now we're through to Michael Cole is the best play by play guy in the world. That's not there's not a ton of competition for that title at this point, but I feel comfortable saying that at this point he was. Uh, Brian hits a suicide dive that takes out both Cody and Sandow. JBL brings up Cody's amateur wrestling background. He was 101 and two and a two-time Georgia State champion. I don't think I had ever heard this before, which is really an indictment of WWE's commentary. I, I wonder if that's just because they don't think that people would look at Cody Rhodes and assume he was an amateur wrestler guy. It's but a yeah, badass amateur wrestler. Georgia is not a small state, and that's what Dusty pushed him into. He wasn't trying yeah. to push him into pro wrestling at first. He wanted to become like well, an Olympian. He was going to make him the perfect pro wrestler by having him be a great amateur and take acting classes, right? Yes, and that's exactly what does happen. Dusty's science experiment to build the perfect wrestler. Yeah, he was like 20th down the list as an Olympic alternate. Like He was legit as shit, you guys. I Uh, looked this up one time to see like where he stand or stood at the time. And like he was one of the best in the nation. JBL refers to Cody's mustache as Tom Selleck-esque, and Cole asks if they can bring the references into this century. I lied. That's not nearly as bad as the Brian Wilson reference. I do love, but this is what I'm talking about. It's like Michael Cole would never have done this before. Like his whole role was to be bullied by Jerry Lawler and JBL. But now he's like, hey, idiots, can we talk about something our fans have heard of? He's gone from like Lord Alfred Hayes on the personality scale to Jesse Ventura. Yeah, I fucking love it. Like, this Michael Cole is one of my favorite play-by-play guys ever. He's going to get, a few years from now, he gets really bored, and you can tell. And that's where he is now, where, like, he he, could not give a shit about what he's watching. I I can't believe he doesn't want to go do something else. There has to be some other challenge out there for him to conquer. And, like, WWE could use a fresh voice. He's got a corporate job now. Like, he's in charge of the announcers. Yeah. Like, he's, like, grooming them and all of that stuff. And that's fine. That's a good role for him. I would, I think I would get him off TV at this point. I just think they need a different soundtrack. I don't think anybody should have that role for more than, like, ten years. No. Like, Five, I think. 
it's impossible to differentiate a change in the product if it's the same voice every single year. And he's been the lead. I mean, he's been one of the lead commentators for 20 years and the top guy since 2008. Yeah. That's like four times longer. That's the equivalent of like John Cena's run to like Steve Austin's run. Like it's too much. <laughs> uh, Brian has been getting worked over this entire time as the commentators are arguing. Like they ha- they don't say anything about this match as it's happening, yeah. basically. Like just a, a frustration of mine with WWE commentary when they just ignore the match, so they can like I just I don't tune into wrestling to hear the announcers bicker with each other. Yep, I agree. Uh, Brian tags in Kane. He comes in hot. He hits the side slam on Sandow. He goes to the top rope, but Sandow cuts him off. Sandow tries for a superplex that predictably goes poorly. Kane fights him off. What if he had actually superplexed Kane? I mean... I don't think he could have done it. I don't think so either, to be honest. Do you have any thoughts on Damien Sandow? Well, he revealed himself to be another huge jackass. So, um, not really a gigantic one. He's one of the few people who ever went down to TNA as a WWE guy and then flopped hugely and see, (laughs) he seemed like he wasn't even big enough for TNA. Yeah. That was like, yeah, he showed up and what did, what's his real, uh, I, Aaron Rex. Aaron Rex. And he had to do one of those shitty workshop, like just. Ban the word, the debut work shoot promo. Just don't do it. This trash. But I don't know. I, I liked him okay as there's a lot of guys who work as in like comedy roles who I have no desire to see as serious wrestlers. And he's on that list. Yeah, like he like, Heath Slater's one of those guys and like Santino. He was a perfectly solid mid card heel. The standout character was fine like he was a good you know maybe he'd be the intercontinental champion at some point but you just need mid-card mechanics yep and that's fine i i always resented anybody that cody was in a team with because all i have rarely been so vindicated in my wrestling watching career as believing from the start that cody had so much potential and they just didn't want him to succeed I was such a, from the moment he showed up on WWE TV, I was a fan. And now that he's proving that we were right, it (laughs) feels really good. Build, yeah, rebuilding the wrestling world in his image. Vince's goddamn nightmare is that he had this man for seven years. He probably could have kept him forever. Yes. Kane goes for the lariat, but Sandow dodges. He hits a swinging neck breaker. Um... Kane recovers. He goes for the choke slam. Cody comes in to cut it off. Brian tags in blind. Uh, the road scholars hit a double DDT on Kane, but he's not the legal man. Brian hits Sandow with a missile drop kick. Kane choke slams Cody and Brian taps out Sandow with the yes lock. That was a pretty good tag match. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I really did. Uh, they do the numbers package for the rumble. I'm not a big fan of this. I, Rather than trivia, to steal something from New Japan, wouldn't it be great if they showed all the Royal Rumble winners? Well, yes, Steve. It fucking would be cool if they did that. Except they'd have to show Chris Benoit. I mean, you could just skip that one. Yeah. Or what if you what what if you just like Photoshop Rey Mysterio onto Chris Benoit? <laughs> Look at him suplexing the Big Show out of the ring. Wow. 
Kane and Brian are celebrating backstage when Vicky interrupts. She hands them their numbers for the Rumble. Kane seems happier with his than Brian. Brian shows Kane his number and asks if Kane will do the same. Kane says no when they do a I'll show you mine if you show me yours joke, which they have done this bit many, many times. This is actually a good example of what we were talking about. This is not good writing. It's bad writing. It's yeah. very bad. In the hands of most people, it would have sucked. But these two make it funny because they're so good at this. Uh, they recap the Royal Rumble Fan Fest. I think this was the first time they did this. I don't know if this became a yearly thing or not. I can't think of... I know for a minute they were like... They were even flirting with like a Survivor Series Fan Fest. Uh, they were going to do this at like every major show. That does a good idea. Yeah. Enjoy the luminous history of Survivor Series, including, uh... Yeah. <laughs> Remember that time Austin killed Triple H? That was pretty funny. And it's now time for the Royal Rumble match. Justin Roberts goes over the rules. As we know, Dolph Ziggler is the number one entrant. Um, he's got Biggie and AJ with him. Number two is Chris Jericho making a surprise return to the company. Uh, he's been gone since the summer. He lost a year fired match to Ziggler on Raw. So now he's back to get his revenge. He was coming back to work with Ryback at WrestleMania, but instead that ended up as Fandango in a tragic series of events. Yeah. And he lost. I think I've heard him try to like justify that as saying like, I wanted to lose to Fandango. I wanted to put over a new star before I left. It's like, okay, yeah. but Fandango? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not not what he, he was coming back to put over Ryback, and instead they decided to do Ryback versus Mark Henry, and they had Ryback lose. Yeah. <sighs> uh, those guys work for you know the 90 second interval. Cody Rhodes is the number three entrant. I appreciate that he's selling from his match as he runs to the ring, but little things matter in wrestling. It's always funny. You can tell what Vince has a direct hand on and what he doesn't have a direct hand on. He has some direct influence on everything. But in terms of, like, how long people are in the Rumble or whether they work double duty, I seriously doubt he's, like, worrying about that per se. So you can tell with little things like that what the rest of the writing team and the rest of the staff think about people. Like, Cody Rhodes is on this show. This is a two-and-a-half-hour show, basically. He's on it for an hour. <laughs> he literally just did a match like yeah. he had like less than 10 minutes between his match ending and having to come into the rumble yeah he's out here and he's gonna go for 27 minutes and eliminate four people and he's, have the biggest moment of the yeah, rumble i think he's the star of this match and like i don't believe in my heart that vince mcmahon when it set out to be like let's get over cody on this one i don't think so um jericho gets him in the walls of jericho but ziggler breaks it up uh, Kofi is number four. He had just dropped the Intercontinental title to Wade Barrett a few weeks before this. It just feels like the IC title was in an endless cycle of like the Miz, Cody, Wade Barrett, and Kofi in this era. Yep. And Kofi is just stuck in a time loop until the new day comes along. It's just IC title, US title, IC title, Tag US titles. Title. Yeah. Yeah. Royal Rumble appearance, funny elimination. IC title, U.S. title. 
Santino is entrant number five. He brings out the Cobra, but he gets ganged up on and eliminated by Cody in less than a minute. Can uh, I admit a secret shame? Santino Morello is one of my favorite wrestlers in WWE history. I think he's one of the more fascinating. Isn't he like a actual like judo badass? Absolutely. His original character in OVW was Boris Alexiev, the Russian shooter. It's a very Jim Cornette gimmick. And but like he embraced comedy in such yes. a way more than anyone ever has in this company. Like he was not afraid to just be whatever the segment needed in order for it to succeed. And I unfortunately Santina is a huge <sighs> pockmark on his resume. Yeah. But it's like he's in this match for a minute, but it's a hugely entertaining minute. He power walks to the ring. He almost gets eliminated in record time, just like he did the year before. He's like, no, no, whew, I made it. Then he yeah. pulls out the Cobra, gets it on Jericho, and then everyone else throws him out. It's just fun. WWE should always have somebody like this. Always. Number six is future WWE champion Drew McIntyre, who is part of 3MB. He's um, in the three-man band. Man, has he fallen a long way. Did you ever hear the story of how he invented the Claymore kick? No. Was he, he was so frustrated with this gimmick that he kicked the wall? Actually, it's because he had to wear leather pants for this gimmick. And one time he goes <laughs> to do a big boot and he can't get his leg up high enough. So he winds up just <laughs> flinging his other leg up in the air and doing it like that. <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he looks like a tool in these leather pants. Yeah, he absolutely does. He is also not in neat... Like he's he was not in great shape compared <laughs> to now then. He's but totally even, let himself go. Even by this standard, yeah, he's got like no abs. Like he's just like, eh, he's just a yeah, dude he, now. He is pigging out at the Waffle House on the road. Well, he's hanging out with Heath Slater and Jinder Mahal, and he's like looking from left to right and like, well, they're both gonna get released soon, so I might as well <laughs> not even give a shit. Oh, Titus O'Neil is entrant number seven. He manages to not bite it on the way to the ring. Um, Titus O'Neil has been in this company for a decade, and the only thing any of you know that he's ever done is bite it on the way to the ring. Did he have a catchphrase involving a wash rag? JBL kept saying wash rag when he got in the ring. Wash rag? I'm going to look that up. I think he just said that once on commentary, and it must have popped events. Um the other thing he did is he got suspended because he grabbed Vince that one time. Yeah, he did. I, there's this undercurrent. Vince is a big... Vince loves having black wrestlers be his friends. I mean, unfortunately, you are right about that. Like, yeah, him and our truth Like, Vince loves the idea that he gets to hang with the black guys. Apparently, he said something about Jerry Lawler in a wash rag that was a burial of Jerry Lawler, but I can't find what it was. Number eight is Gold Dust. This is his first WWE appearance since 2010. Uh, he goes straight for Cody, and the crowd is into it. Uh, JBL shouts out that he debuted back at the 1991 Royal Rumble. We also haven't mentioned real quick that like this is the show that Michael Cole actually did research for the Rumble. So he's got like Rumble facts in every single person that comes out, which is pretty weird. 
Like he's not usually that guy. Again, I hate that the Royal Rumble has become trivia. Yeah. And that's like all it is. I don't need to know like, oh, this guy has been in the Rumble three hours and 52 minutes. This guy has 36 eliminated. No. Can we just talk about how the winner of this match is going to go to WrestleMania? Yeah. Um, But just and then there's the facial expression. The facial expression Cody Rhodes gives when Goldust music hits. This is how you sell a match. Yeah. Right. There's a huge pop for Goldust. He gets in the ring. He and Cody go face to face and the crowd loses it. Yeah. They're buzzing. Goldust hasn't been in this company for a good while and was a mid Carter at best when he was. And Cody Rhodes means literally nothing in this company right now. And the crowd is buzzing. Yeah, the last time Goldust got a push was like 1996. I mean, like the Booker T tag, I guess. Okay, there is that. Yeah, I'm forgetting that. Book Dust was a real thing. But that's yeah. 2003. It's We're in 2013. Yeah. Also, and they've yeah. never acknowledged on screen that these two are brothers. Ever. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess we know that because, like, we know they're both Dusty Rhodes' sons. But, yeah, like, it's just natural and it's electric. And the fans are in, man. Number nine is David Otunga. I have heard this music somewhere and I can't place it. This must have been the theme song for a pay-per-view or something. I think it was. And I also think, like, two different people had this. Yeah. It's It's not good music. It's just, yeah, it feels like kind of a stock track they would have handed off. David Otunga has like two black eyes here. I don't I don't know why, but it doesn't make him look very tough. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, he hadn't been had, this is at the point where his gimmick, like he's got the lawyer gimmick going, like he's the like lawyer who causes trouble. I always thought that was a huge missed opportunity. Yeah. I think he could have done that devil's advocate gimmick that we were talking about with Sean O'Hare. <sighs> like if he's sinister enough, but I like him as like the sneaky guy who finds like excuses that helps the heels. There's always room for that, right? It's yeah. like the guy being like, hey, I got my title rematch. How the fuck did you manage that? And then in walks David Otunga with yeah. a smarmy look on his face. Like, my client will be getting his duly appointed rematch. This is what Paul Heyman pretends to be. Paul Heyman, his dad is a lawyer, but like at times he kind of portrays, you know, the advocate. I feel like if they had run with this, like he could have become like a staple of their programming. Yeah. Or like a future authority figure. Like, he could talk. He had charisma. God, he just couldn't wrestle to save his fucking life. They put him on commentary, and he was a pretty awful commentator. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have uses elsewhere. Most people are bad. No, I like him as a character. But they just, it feels like they don't, if you're not a wrestler or, like, an actual authority figure, the GM, they just don't have, they can't figure out how you can be a character on the show. Which doesn't make sense because they don't cut, fire anybody anymore. No. Like they just keep all these guys around forever doing nothing. They could just be like characters on the TV show. Um, Heath Slater of 3MB is number 10. Yay. Um, number 11. It's so astounding how long he lasts. Because you would have imagined he would have been cut like a year after NXT, a year after the Nexus started. And he's still there like 10 years later. Number 11 is the previous year's winner, Sheamus. He comes in hot. He hits all his big moves, the white noise, the Celtic cross, the Irish curse. Uh, He hits 10 beats of the Bowery on Sheamus. He throws Otunga into Titus. 
and that knocks Titus off the apron, so Titus is gone. Then he does 10 beats of the Bowery on Otunga, and then he hits a brogue kick on Otunga, and Otunga's gone. I believe that's revenge for Otunga being a lawyer and getting the brogue kick banned at one point. I believe you're right, yes. Sheamus has a hell of a run in this. Like yeah. He's in it for the third longest time of anybody. Yeah, he makes, the, he makes it into the Final Four, I think. Yeah, and the best thing about that is... I don't, this is just something that I mark out for, but I love it when wrestlers are in matches for so long that they like get like super sweaty. Yes. And like their hair, hair gets matted down. Yeah. It's like, so like it's notable with him because he's got the electroshock hair. But yeah, by the end of this, his hair is like down in his eyes. He's so sweaty. I just love that visual sense of fatigue. Like there are some wrestlers who go an hour and they don't look any different oh, at the end, and I hate Jer- that. Jericho and Ziggler are like, yeah. Dolph Ziggler could have gone another five hours after this. Guy is just a remarkable athlete. Did you ever hear the story about when he dated Amy Schumer, the comedian? Yes. And she dumped him because he was too athletic at sex. Yes, it was too. It was just too much. Too much effort for her. She said, and I quote, "He was spinning all over the place. I don't know what to do with that." (laughs) And that image has been fixed in my head ever since. Um, Tensai is number 12. This might be the only time we get to talk about Tensai. <sighs> yep. He returned right after WrestleMania 28 with the new name and the gimmick. Seemed like he was going to get a huge push. Uh, they teased that he was going to get a pay-per-view match with John Cena, but they ended up doing Cena versus John Laurinaitis instead. Um, I think there was a grain of a good idea here, but like having him come out in a fucking like samurai helmet and cape was a big misfire here's the thing and i can tell you exactly what happened here this is just when new japan's starting to catch on fire yeah but it's not big enough that everybody in wwb would know what's going on in new japan at this point they're probably they wouldn't be paying attention so what they know is that somebody told them hey uh you remember that guy ia train used to work for us we really loved him right well, he's getting over huge in Japan. He's like a huge monster over there. We should bring him in. And Vince is like, Japan, eh? And they just put on him every Japanese yeah. bullshit stereotype they can think of. They, they gave, gave him, him a, the miss. Manager Sakamoto or something like yes. that. Yes, it's this dumb shit. Whereas you have a very simple story here that like, this guy went to Japan and he got really hard and like now he's back and like he's going to get his revenge on these people who overlooked him. And all you really have to do is that would require them to acknowledge that Japanese wrestling is good in some way, which they've never done ever. Um, so I can't really imagine them ever possibly doing that. It's just he was such a can't miss. He can work his ass off. Yeah. He's huge. <laughs> He can work with anybody, and he's coming in fresh. Nobody's yeah. seen him in years. And, like, what great character motivation that he's like, you think I didn't miss my family on those 15-hour flights to Japan? How do you think my body felt when I'm on a plane all the way, you know, flying across the world to wrestle to get the shit kicked out of me in Japan? And I had to do that because you people didn't believe in me. Yeah, this company threw me in the garbage, so I had to go remake myself into someone who could destroy everything that this company stands for. Yeah. And that means you, John Cena. 
I, this works. Like, yeah. This is a thing. Fuck. And we, now Tenzai has settled in to an amazing role as the head trainer of NXT and is probably probably the most prolific and best wrestling trainer who's ever lived at this point. Like, the talent he's turned out there is pretty incredible. Yeah, and if he's the head trainer in NXT, that makes him one of the ten most important people in wrestling. Absolutely. He and Pulls Sarah the Del Rey. the future of the business in the palm of his hand. At this point in history, the two trainers that would be dictating the future of wrestling are wrestling, were wrestling in New Japan and Shimmer, and that's funny to me. Sounds about right. I was the only one watching both of them. At this point, he's become a dancing bear, and he's teaming up with Brodus Clay. Hey, this is dumb as shit. Get this Sweet off the tea. My God. And speaking of the devil, Funkasaurus Brodus Clay is number 13. We're about to get funky up in here. Real quick, do you think that oh, when they mama. when they pitch Sweet Tea to Tensai, and he had to have, like, Hip Hop Hippo in the back of his head, like, no, it's happening again. again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brodus Clay, here he is. The person, I did not suspect that in the future he would become a right-wing pundit on news channels. <laughs> no, that was an unlikely career path. But here he is. And much to my delight, he gets in the ring and everyone immediately stops what they're doing and whoops his ass. <laughs> Felt like a rib on him. I fucking love it. Uh, Cody runs Goldust into the post and eliminates him. To be continued... Or not. Yeah. Two huge boos from the crowd. Yeah. Like, it couldn't be more obvious that this should be on your WrestleMania card. Like, just put it, like, as the opening match. Like, you only need to give it ten minutes, but, like, clearly the fans want it. It'll be hot. Why wouldn't you do it? (sighs) The Rhodes family can't have nice things. Till now. (laughs) Rey Mysterio's number 14. He's been teaming with Sin Cara, and there were rumors that him and Cara were going to wrestle at WrestleMania, something with they were going to hand out masks to all the fans and set a world record. Did not happen. That would have been interesting. Yeah. Right now they're trying to salvage. This is the mystico Sin Cara. I, I always will feel I like I don't he- think it... Oh, yeah, this yeah, this is still the original Sin Cara. Yeah, this is still the original. They, they swap him out in the next year. Yeah. I, I don't think that he got a fair break because the ex, he got shoved into the spotlight so fast. And he was not ready to wrestle the American style. And he had nobody who could even speak Spanish to work with. It's just a bad situation. So here they're just like, ah, fuck him. Give it to him to Mysterio. He was supposed to replace Mysterio, but whatever. Uh, Darren Young is number 15 and we're halfway home. Um, as he gets in the ring, everyone gangs up on Brodus and eliminates him. I always love that spot in a battle Royal. Fucking love it. Also, Darren Young now wrestling for new Japan. Good for you, Darren Young. Then Kofi eliminates Tensai with a head scissor. Uh, Kofi gets knocked off the apron, but he lands on Tensai's back. Yes. Tensai drops him on the announce table, so Kofi has to figure out how to get back in the ring. Um, I was expecting him to just jump from the announce table, but that would have been tough. Also, didn't think about this, but keep in mind that Kofi was standing on this table when we get to the main event. Yes, it's a very good point. Because, God, if this table buckles and falls like it has so many times before, and he just falls on his ass on the ground... Well, what what a burial. 
what I'm referencing is the table collapses and almost destroys the rock's knee when he's going for the rock bottom in the main event. Yep. So that could have easily happened right here, I guess. Yeah. I've, this is, I think this is my favorite Kofi rumble spot. Like they've all been pretty good, but like this one, I can't even believe that this is a real thing that happens. I imagine trying to do this in real life and there's no, the mats on the floor would make this impossible, oh, right? Have you ever tried to stand on one of these chairs to like change a light bulb and how hard that is? To jump it? Yeah. On mats where yeah. the wheels burrow in? Yeah. He takes JBL's chair and uses it as a pogo stick to get back in the ring. And also, if you fuck up, you're buried. That's the end of your career. Like, if people just laugh at you, you're Titus O'Neil then. That sucks. The Cody, pressure. Cody eliminates Darren Young, and then he catches Kofi with the disaster kick as he's coming back into the ring to eliminate him. I mean, that's a pretty good gig for Cody. Is it, or for yeah. Kofi is like every year you get like five minutes of spotlight in the Rumble. That's fine. Uh, number sixteen is Bo Dallas, who is still in NXT at this point. Yep, he is the NXT champion, I believe. Or Isn't it Big E? I don't know about the he, timeline. I, I think, no, he wins it. Doesn't he win it? I think he takes it from Big E at some point yes. here. Yeah, he was the next one. I don't know if he has it yet or not. I think yeah. he does. But the, the important thing is he wins a battle royal in order to become the NXT representative in this match, which sucks because if you're trying to show people someone <laughs> to represent this new brand you want them to watch, you don't show them Bo Dallas. Oh, should have been Corey Graves. It should have been anybody. You had, uh, I'm Neville, almost 90% Corey sure they Graves, had Neville at this point. They have um, Sami Zayn. Yeah. Oh, Sammy. Sammy, mm, Sammy may not have debuted yet. I think he's right about that time. But still, you had other guys. <laughs> Number 17 is the Godfather. He's back. This was this was fun, and it was especially fun because of how modestly dressed the hoes are. Yes, the hoes, not nearly as stripperific as they used to be. These literally look like girls who like work at corporate who just wanted to walk yeah. down to the ring one time. They are who, do you th- who do you think is in charge of getting the hoes at this point? That's a really good question. I assume the Godfather himself, right? I thought he, this, well, back in the day, I think this was always Bruce Pritchard's job. It was, yes, because they would go to the strip clubs when they reached a new town, scope out the best <laughs> Bruce talent. Bruce was already there, yeah. Yep. But I assume now, like, the Godfather runs his own clubs in Vegas. I'm sure he, yeah, like, has some girls that he brings with him. Not a far drive to Phoenix. Hey, girls want to be on TV? Okay, let's go. Uh, he gets in the ring and immediately gets eliminated. Like he's in for like one second and he just like shrugs it off. His music never stops and he like, you know, dance walks to the back. Best possible use of him. Like that's a good cameo for me. <laughs> Doesn't waste any time. Uh, Wade Barrett, the Intercontinental Champion, is number 18. What the hell is this music he comes out to? So Barrett has like four different themes oh. over the course of like two years. It was a bad stretch. This is the worst one. Um, I don't know what you would call Wade Barrett's best theme. I mean, it's probably it's the Nexus theme, but yeah. And then I liked the God Save Our Queen one. I, that's my favorite. It's the God Save Our Queen one. Um, this one's the worst. 
This is this is the I don't bad. care what you think of me song. I don't care anymore. No, it's trash. It's bad. <laughs> what did he use as Bad News Barrett? Was that the God Save Our Queen? The God Save, yeah, he gets the God Save Our Queen a couple months after this, and he uses that his music forever after that. You just you have to have that like cue in the beginning. You know what I mean? And like yeah. I just love that God Save Our Queen. This is nothing. <laughs> Number 19 is John Cena, and business is about to pick up. Um, he throws out Slater. He AAs Cody over the top. He goes to AA Jericho out, but Jericho holds onto the rope, and Ziggler comes in to break it up. Uh, Damian Sandow is number 20. Uh, Barrett knocks Mysterio off the apron with a kick to eliminate him. Jericho tries, or Cena tries to AA Jericho, but Jericho rolls through it. He goes for the walls on Cena. Cena blocks it. Uh, Daniel Bryan is number 21. This is a much better number than would have been implied by that skit earlier. Oh, God, yes. In fact, they're only three apart, so I don't really understand the point of that. (laughs) Uh, This will be the last Royal Rumble for several years that his you know, presence does not loom large over. Yes. It's funny to see him in a rumble where yes. what happens to him isn't the most important thing in the fucking world. Yeah. I don't have a panic attack seeing him come out. Oh boy. Here he just comes in, leaves. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, United States champion Antonio Cesaro is number 22. Um, number 23 is the great Kali. This is, the phase where he's the Punjabi playboy and dating Natalia. He lumbers out to the ring. He looks so broken down. Uh, like, he can't even, like, move his legs right. No. no, he walks like he has steel rods in his legs. It sucks. He should not be out here forced to go over the top rope at all. <laughs> Number 24 is Kane. Um they say this is his, this is his 16th Royal Rumble. They say it's his 14th in a row, but they must mean Royal Rumble shows because he wasn't in the match last year. Last year he wrestled Cena. Also, is 16 Rumbles right? I mean, I guess. I guess he was at one at as Doc as Isaac Yankum. Oh, good question. That's maybe that's what they're counting. They have to be, because he didn't debut as a character until, what, 96? 97, and he, wasn't in, and he wasn't in the 98 Rumble. He was in, I think he's in, like, every one after that, though. Yeah, so that's the 14 in a row, so he must have been in two other ones. as like Fake Diesel and yeah, he was Isaac in 90, Yankum. Yeah, he was in 97 as Fake Diesel. That, that makes sense. <laughs> Um, Zach Ryder is number 25. They say he has 1 million Twitter followers, which is impro- it's probably more than the company had at this point. It was. Like, yeah. that was the big thing. Zach Ryder is what proved to WWE that social media existed and mattered. And what and he they got for that forgave was, him for it. Yeah, they buried him for expo. Social media is basically the only thing keeping them alive. <laughs> yeah. And they had no idea what any of it was. They thought they could launch their own to compete to Twitter. That's what that's genuinely what they thought at the time is that, oh, we'll just do our own then. No motherfuckers. Yeah, wait, didn't they yeah, they did make their own like social networking thing yes. on WC.com. What the fuck were they thinking? They thought they didn't need it. 
And Zack Ryder is what proved that they did. Oh, we don't need to expose our product to anyone who doesn't currently watch it. Why would we want to do that? Yeah, the boys, like, doing promos and stuff on Twitter is what got convinced them, like, oh, this is a thing. Nobody got anything for that. Twitch, which could be a huge thing for WWE. Gigantic. The boys got that over, started making it a thing, and they basically threatened to fire them if they didn't stop doing it, and did fire Selena Vega for it. Yes. WWE refuses to accept innovation. Oh, Kane eliminates Kali. Brian sneaks up on Kane and eliminates him. But then Cesaro knocks Brian off the apron into Kane's arms. This is a funny spot where, like, they do a yes-no thing. Yes. And then Kane drops Brian on the floor to eliminate him. It's also funny, like, this is so much more intimate than wrestlers usually get with each other, isn't it? Just holding him like like a baby. It's just... It was so funny to watch that. It's I just love it so much. Any relationship between any two wrestlers in any capacity is good for business. Randy Orton is number six. He hits a double-hanging DDT on Dolph and Bo. Uh, Ryder comes in for the rough rider, but he gets caught out of the air with an RKO and tossed out. And at this point, Cole plugs Tout. Um, what is Tout, you may ask? Tout was a social media company. The technology is good because it's basically the forerunner to Facebook Live. Yes. But this is a company that WWE literally bought like a share in and it went out of business. Like Stephanie McMahon was on the board of directors of this company. And like at the same time, like this is coming out when Vine is already like super well established and it's kind of trying to like get into that space and it's just not gonna. And of course Vine winds up going out of business too. And these are both just weird forerunners to like TikTok. TikTok. Yeah. But so the idea is sound, but like tout is a joke. I, Steve, you know how every once in a while, Oh no. We talk about stuff like this. And it's we talk about how stupid it is and like how uh, only losers would do it. Did you have a tout? I had a tout, Steve. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> there was also this thing where they had to integrate tout into the storylines. So yes. like, it was like literally mandated that every week there had to be a tout storyline. Well, that's why I actually originally got tout is that they would be like cutting promos on each other on there. Later on, they would realize they could just cut out the middleman and just cut promos on each other on YouTube or Twitter or whatever. When they finally figured out that guys could just cut promos on their phones and just post them and they could cut all of these middlemen out was like the most inventive thing imaginable. And I feel like Kevin Dunn immediately put his foot down on that. Like, no, there's no need for 27 cameras then. Nothing can be organic. That's like the only promos I've liked that they've done in the last couple of years were the ones where it's just like one guy with a camera talking directly to it while he's going about his day. It just feel like it feels authentic in a way that this weird shit can't. Jinder Mahal is number twenty-seven. This is the spot that has produced the most winners in history, not this year. They put the whole three-man band in this Royal Rumble. <laughs> That's where we're at. It can be tough to get to thirty sometimes. Yeesh. Uh, Cena dumps Cesaro. The Miz is number 28. Uh, him and Cesaro fight in the aisle. 
He's limping to sell an ankle injury from his match earlier. Um, Mahal gets eliminated by Sheamus. Number 29 is Sin Cara to virtually no reaction, although this is his return after he's been out for the last few months with a knee injury. Yeesh. <laughs> That's a pretty big burial is when you come out at the Rumble and nobody cares. Oh, manages to sneak up on Barrett and eliminate him. Um, so that's our very poor man's version of the Maven Undertaker spot. Yay. <laughs> Barrett comes back to eliminate him and then hits him with a bull hammer. And I think they did like a mini feud on Raw after this. That sounds right. Only one man left. Number 30 is Ryback. Uh, seems like he's got to be the favorite coming in fresh here. He goes on a spree. He eliminates Sandow, Cara, and Miz. And we're down to six. We've got Cena, Jericho, Ryback, Sheamus, Ziggler, and Orton. That's a pretty good final six. Like, those are the biggest six guys in this match. Yeah. I mean, you really could have put anybody else in there with Cena because it's so goddamn obvious that he's going to win this match. This is gotta be the i mean this is up there in the most predictable rumbles in history i think honestly it would have been more fun if he had lost and had to find some other way to get a match with the rock like that would have been a more entertaining build and maybe like he and cena uh, he and cm punk have to wrestle to see who gets to face the rock or whatever later on yeah but you know they weren't gonna outsmart themselves this year it makes sense yeah Jericho catches Ryback with the code breaker. Man, that's going to be a great WrestleMania match. <laughs> then a lion salt on Cena and a code breaker on Sheamus. Ziggler catches Jericho with a super kick to eliminate him. To reiterate, they came in at the very beginning of the match. So Jericho lasts 45 minutes and Ziggler lasts about 50. I still feel like... You can stretch this thing out for another 15 minutes with just, like, the last five in the ring. Yeah. And, like, just give Ziggler the fucking record. Like, Give him something. That seems like something he should have, right? Like, yeah. that should be on his it's, mantle. It's the kind of thing that would mean so much for him, because he could literally talk about that for the rest of his career. Yeah, he didn't win, but he fucking stole the show. Yeah. He lasted longer than anyone in history. It would be like be the it's like how Jericho has lived off beating Rock and Austin in the same night forever. Yeah, it's like Mysterio's never gonna bring that up. That doesn't fit his character. Yeah, technically it's Brian now. And Brian's yeah, never brought it up since then. That uh, doesn't count. Yeah, but like for Ziggler, that would be like I'm the goddamn Iron Man. I can go all night forever. Yeah, ask Amy Schumer. There you go. <laughs> Uh, Orton with an RKO on Ziggler, then one on Cena. He ducks a brogue kick and RKO's Sheamus. He hits the hanging DDT on Ryback. Gotta love the one time a year Randy Orton really tries. Yep. Gotta love that shit. Ryback comes back to eliminate Orton with a clothesline, and we're down to our final four. We've got Ryback, Cena, Ziggler, and Sheamus. Sheamus hits a broke kick on Ziggler to eliminate him. Lasted just shy of 50 minutes. Also, the way he goes out, Dolph Ziggler hurts himself for us. Yeah. Like, he takes this broke kick and he hits the ground face first. Dies for our sins. Like, after 50 minutes. Uh, that's the bump Takamishinoku took that destroyed his face. Yep, it sure is. Ziggler willingly uh, took didn't it. Didn't Paul London do that too? 
He did the full shooting star, yeah. But he landed on his knees. Um, JBL, in reference to something, says, this is something you're going to tell your grandkids about. That feels like a stretch. John Cena versus Ryback versus Sheamus. I can't wait to tell my grandkids Who about can that. Forget? Uh. Cena with the blue thunder bomb and the five knuckle shuffle on Sheamus, but Ryback cuts him off with the meat hook clothesline. Ryback with the shell shock on Sheamus, but Sheamus slips out. He hits the white noise. Sheamus goes for the brogue kick, but Ryback ducks and dumps him out of the ring. Down to Ryback and Cena. Uh, Ryback hits a spine buster. He sets up for the meat hook, but he counters with the STF. Ryback is fading and appears to be knocked out. Cena breaks the hold. Uh, Ryback pops up, gets Cena up on his shoulders, but Cena manages to slip out and he dumps Ryback over the top rope to win. Um, A pretty good rumble, but not one of the better ones. No, the the irony of this whole show is that this is probably a bottom half rumble, like right towards the middle. But every other match on the show is amazing. Like the, yeah, in terms of the, the best act- rumble undercards. Yeah, this is probably the best matches on a rumble ever. It's but a truly mediocre rumble. If this had had like a great rumble on it, yeah. we would point to this as the greatest rumble of all time. All well, right, we don't. We got one match to go, and it's the big one. Yeah. Uh, they, they do the video package for Rock versus Punk, and then Josh Matthews interviews Rock. Rock proceeds to cut a Dusty Rhodes-style promo about all the obstacles that he's overcome, that he didn't make it in the NFL, that he had nothing but $7 to his name when he started to wrestle. He talks about his mom having cancer, but being there tonight to see him win the title. Uh, He says he won't quit because she won't quit. Uh, He disputes CM Punk's claim that the people don't matter. He does the, you know, Dusty Rhodes, reach my hand out, you know, reach your hand out, touch my hand thing. And he promises to end 434 days of misery. Um, pretty clear ripoff of the Hard Times promo, but I thought this was pretty good. I felt like the putting the hand out thing was a little much. Yeah. It didn't seem warranted here. Like, there... If this had been like a true reign of terror and people were desperate to see it be ended, like maybe then you can get away with that. Like here, I don't know how much of the audience was like chomping at the bit for the title change here. Mm, Good chunk of the crowd wasn't, as we'll see. Yes, exactly. All right. Main event time for the WWE Championship. CM Punk defends against The Rock. Punk out first to a mix of cheers and boos. He's backed up by Paul Heyman. Um, I love their interactions, especially um, Heyman offering his watch for the it's clobbering time. Also love Heyman like lugging the title around. He can barely lift that thing. I think every heel champion should have someone behind them carrying the hype man. Yeah, this is what this is my favorite thing in boxing. Like when they would have like all eight of the United yeah. titles and they like eight different dudes carrying eight different belts. That is awesome. Like that's what I always wanted is if they ever did like the J crown again, I'd want like a bunch of girls out there carrying the belts out to the ring first and then out comes the champion. This will be Kenny Omega. They'll be carrying belts instead of brooms. Look, we I spent like half an hour before this podcast regaling Steve with what I want Kenny Omega to do, which is win every world title in the whole world and then go and feud with Kota Ibushi about it. I don't need to regale you with that. Just know it would be sick. 
Um, huge pop for Rock. And then it gets even bigger when he comes through the curtain. There's just something about this. And, like, I've never been a Rock guy. I never yeah. really have. His, his, most of his comeback was pretty disappointing. I wasn't a huge fan of it. But here, there's something different going on. He's in clearly, visibly better shape than he was the year before. And he's just, he seems focused. He's dialed in. He seems like this is the closest to 2003 rock we ever get again. Like, he seems like he's in this to, like, he knows that he's going to have to work harder than he's worked in a long, long time to make this match work. And he's just on it. It's electrifying. It's the only way to put it. They start fast. Uh, they fight after the floor. Rock starts to take the announce table apart, but Punk stops him and then puts it back together. And they did a little push and pull with this throughout the match that I found very entertaining. I love the idea of Punk being like, no, fuck you. No, no leave the, we're not leave doing the that garbage. Yeah. No. Uh, there's dueling Rocky CM Punk chants from the crowd. Um, loud contingent of Punk fans in the crowd here. That's not a huge surprise. Where are they against Phoenix? Phoenix, which, I mean, not the biggest, like, smart mark city, but, like, for a pay-per-view and especially the Royal, Royal Rumble, you're going to get a more smart mark audience. It's also important to remember that we're still very much in that period of, like, the fans who had, like, been really felt, like, radicalized by the Summer of Punk stuff are very yeah. unhappy. They didn't feel like they got what they wanted. This is eventually going to turn into the Yes Movement. Like, they're going to latch on to Brian as that guy. But there's just a large contention of their fan base that's just unhappy with the current direction. Um, as they fight on the floor, Heyman gets a cheap shot on Rock, and Punk follows it up with a clothesline. Punk teases taking the announce table apart, but he doesn't. What a dick. Raw or Punk controls, controls the match at a pretty slow pace. You know, Got to account for the fact that Rock... You know, has wrestled one match in the previous year. Um, Rock hits an inverted atomic drop, but Punk shuts down his comeback with a leg lariat. Um, I did like a piece of commentary JBL did here where he explained yeah, what ring shape means. Yes. Like, there's just no way Rock can possibly match Punk's conditioning because Rock hasn't been wrestling. And Punk's literally been defending the belt every yeah. single month for... Night in, night out. He's in the shape of his life. Yeah. Um, Punk knocks Rock off the apron with a kick, but he comes up gimpy on his knee. He had just had surgery on that a few weeks before this. Uh, he shrugs it off, hits a flying clothesline from the top rope to the floor. Um, they go back in the ring, and Rock targets Punk's knee. I... I feel like this is Rock showing a lot of respect for Punk, like in kayfabe to structure the match this way, that Punk had to get hurt for Rock to get the advantage. I agree with that. Like, I, I think all of our fear would that the Rock would just kind of steamroll Punk in 10 yeah. minutes and bury him. And a lot of people tried to make it seem like that's what happened after the match ended. Oh, yeah. But no, like the Rock goes out of his way to treat CM Punk like a serious threat. Uh, Punk knocks Rock to the floor and hits a suicide dive. Um, he's got a knee injury. Why is he continuing to do these dives? That's a great question. <laughs> he deserves to lose this match. <laughs> Dumbass. 
Punk misses a springboard clothesline. Rock hits a Russian leg sweep. He sets up for the rock bottom, but Punk fights out with elbows. Punk sets up for the GTS, but Rock catches Punk and Punk's knee. He rolls into the sharpshooter, but Rock rolls through into the Anaconda Vice, or Punk rolls through into the Anaconda Vice. Rock rolls it into a pin, which forces Punk to break. Who knew The Rock had that sequence in him? It is at this point that I need to bring this up, because it is the most fascinating thing about this match, is that The Rock could have made CM Punk wrestle The Rock style, which is very much the sports entertainment attitude era style. The two matches he has with Cena are very much that style. Instead, The Rock comes out here to wrestle the indie style. It's the only time we ever see him do it. And it's awesome. He's good at it. Yeah, he can do anything. He's just a super athlete. But just imagine... If this is the rock we could have had, right? Uh, yeah. Have you ever, like, sat down and just thought about, like, what he could have done if he had stuck with wrestling? Like, it, it's all incredible. All the feuds he would have had, all these guys he could have worked with. You also can't understate the fact that he's a gigantic fan of, like, other wrestling promotions, even now. Like, he was, like, telling Kevin Owens when he was in Ring of Honor, like, that you're my favorite wrestler and I watch you every week on Ring of Honor. Like shouted out Dynamite before. The Rock is a wrestling fan, even to this day. He watches New Japan. And, like, this doesn't get talked about a lot in much the same way that John Cena, all Japan super fan John Cena, doesn't get mentioned a lot. But it's so... It It doesn't fit the narrative. Yeah. But, like, you can tell that that's part of their motivation. And you can tell that when The Rock was, like, in the workroom or, like, in his practice ring with, like, whoever was helping him, like, work out these matches, he's like, all right, I want to try this thing I saw them do in Ring of Honor. Come on, let's do it. And that's so fucking cool to me. Like, we talked last week about the Benoit Angle match yeah. and the effect that it had on the oh, wrestling industry. That's what that's what they're doing here. They're doing Benoit Angle here. Yeah. That's the reflection, is that we never got to see that effect on The Rock, because The Rock was already gone. But imagine if he hadn't been, and we had gotten to see what effect that could have had on him, and this is it here. And he fucking kicks ass at it. Again, this this rules. Rock goes for another rock bottom. Punk counters into a crucifix pin. Rock rolls through and locks in the sharpshooter, and he really cinches this thing in. This is the first time he's ever applied yes. it properly in his entire career. I bet, I, Brett, I bet Brett showed him how to do it backstage. Yeah, I feel like Brett's in the back like, motherfucker, if you do your bullshit sharpshooter, right. I am going to come out there and tap you out for real. They go back to the floor where Rock clears off the announce table. Rock goes for a rock bottom, but the table collapses under their weight. This is so ugly every time it happens. It's to the point where I don't, I understand that they can't brace it with anything because it's got to collapse, right? But again, Kofi standing on the thing earlier probably didn't help. But there's got to be a way that you can make these things. Yeah, more stable than this because this almost. It's almost killed Kurt Angle at SummerSlam when the thing collapsed and Triple H was going to pedigree him and he hit his head on the concrete. But also, like, there are times where it just doesn't break at all. Like, yeah. these are these are poorly constructed. Like, you've seen the clip of Randy Orton throwing that Singh brother, like, onto it, like, oh, head God. first and it does yeah. it. And him being like, eww. <laughs> uh, looked like Rock jacked up his knee here. It really did. 
He doesn't sell it, so like, not that. I mean, that's pretty impressive that he just kind of walks it off. Uh, Rock smartly rolls back into the ring to break the count. Heyman disputes this and said that the count should continue. Um, under my understanding of the rules of professional wrestling, when a wrestler goes from the floor back in the ring and then goes back to the floor, that breaks the count and it restarts from one. It has, and all the millions of times before that heels have done it. So yes, I feel like that should count. I like Heyman just being difficult for its own sake. Yeah. Call out David Otunga. Let's protest this. Uh, Rock hits a rock bottom on the floor. He throws Punk in the ring, covers, but he can only get two. Punk hits a roundhouse kick to turn the tide. Rock comes back with a spine buster, and he goes for the people's elbow, but the lights go out. Oh, boy. Yeah. We hear commotion. Rock is being beaten up. He gets slammed through the announce table, and Cole says it's the shield. We cannot see what is going on. We can hear, but we have no idea who this is. But Cole can tell it's the shield with his night vision. Let's be clear, too. This is pretty impressive, right? That they yeah. managed to do this in pitch darkness. How the hell did they, they powerbomb him through the table? Because, like, they are, we're obviously under the ring. That's how this works. And they come out. And, like, I assume The Rock knows to go over to the table so they can meet up. And then they all just, like, feel in the dark for each other. Yeah. Like, it's fucking crazy. Like, it's not just like he's, like, knocked out on the ground. They put him through the table. Even when, if, like, the, when the do Rock... you think they got on? Do you think they got under the ring during Jericho's entrance? I would say so, probably. Yeah, they probably snuck in through the crowd then. Maybe... Unless they've been down there literally the entire night. Oh, God, I Which hope sometimes not. they do do that. Um, <laughs> That'd be a good rib on the young guys, though. Sometimes they'll go in, like, dressed as cameramen with their gear already under the ring and stuff like yeah. that. It's just, I think the way I would have done this if it were me was leave the shield under the ring and just have the rock, like, go climb up on the barricade and throw himself through the table. <laughs> <laughs> Because at least less can go wrong that way, you know? Um, the lights come back on. Cole yells at the referee to tell him that it was the shield. JBL, in my favorite moment of the night, tells him to quit stooging. Uh. <laughs> Punk pulls the rock back into the ring and pins him. I didn't remember that that happened. I thought Rock just got counted out, but no, Punk pinned him. I remember watching him pin the Rock, and in that moment, it's cemented in my head that it was going to be a triple threat at WrestleMania. Yeah. Because then, if the if the match le- ends like this, then the Rock obviously has a reason for a rematch, and John Cena has a reason for a rematch. They could have easily had this be the end of this match, and that's what you go with, right? Well, the other thing is, Rock is working Elimination Chamber. He wrestles Punk again at Elimination Chamber. Right. It probably would have been hotter if it had been Rock chasing the title instead of defending it. I agree with you. Yeah. Like, with, like, Cena waiting in the wings. Like, yeah, good luck, I think, good luck, Rock. I hope you get it. I think it, it would have made sense to let this stand. This really would have leveled up Punk, in my mind. This is, again... Another thing he can brag about forever. He's the only... How many other people have beaten both The Rock and John Cena? 
Um, Not very many. Brock uh, yeah. Lesnar. Triple H. And the Undertaker. It's an elite crew. Yeah. The only one of this era, that's for sure. And I don't think that The Rock would have had a problem doing that job either. And it doesn't make The Rock any less of a fucking star. Nothing can. Oh, he got powerbombed through a table. Like, of course he got pinned. Vince comes out. He says that even though we couldn't see that the Shield were the ones who interfered, everyone knows it was them. Well, come, come the fuck on. I know. <laughs> Again, where's David Otonga? This is some bullshit, honestly. Like, how do how do we know it was the Shield? Because Michael Cole says so. We're gonna trust that stooge. It could have been anybody. Yeah, I mean, could have been could have been Kevin Nash. He's been around lately. That would have been fucking hilarious. If Kevin Nash just did this to screw with CM Punk. <laughs> ah, motherfucker, I got you. No, this is dumb. I don't... It, I agree with you. I think the best way to go with this is that Punk beats Rock here under very dubious circumstances. Rematch at the next pay-per-view. Rock beats him clean. There's yep. your Rock Cena. Cena you comes could, out after the Rock wins. You could have Punk take some shots at Rock after the match and Cena comes out to make the save and then you get to do a little moment with Cena and Rock. I also... How hot would a Raw main event of, like, Rock and Cena versus The Shield have been? Oh, my God. Yeah, that would have been on fire. (sighs) What could have been? So Vince goes to strip Punk of the title, but Rock stops him. Rock says he doesn't want to win the title on a technicality. He wants to beat Punk in the ring. He asks for the match to be restarted. Classic dumbass babyface. This This is is some some sting shit. I was literally about to say this is some sting shit right here. It feels like Cena would do this and then he'd lose. This is what Cena did when he clotheslined John Laurinaitis. Because remember, like, uh, at the Money in the Bank match? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is exactly what Cena did. Um, Rock can barely stand. Um, Punk hits a knee in the corner. He follows up with a clothesline. And the flying elbow, Rock kicks out, Punk goes for the GTS, Rock slips out, he hits the spine buster and the people's elbow, and that's enough for the pin. Um, I remember Punk being pinned with the people's elbow was a great source of consternation on the internet after this match. Which, like, guys. Yeah, like... Rock beat Triple H with the people's elbow. He beat Hollywood Hogan with the people's elbow. He beat like, Steve Austin with the people's yeah. elbow. Come on. CM Punk is not too good to lose to the people's elbow. It does seem like a move from another time. It's like beating him with the atomic drop or some shit. But, like, sure. that's what he does. Is the rock bottom more credible? I don't know. But, yeah, a great match. I did think, you know, the finish did sap it of some momentum. But, yeah, I mean... Great performance by both these guys. I loved Punk here. I thought Punk did great heel work as the champion. Punk, this is maybe, it's not the best performance of his career, but this should have cemented him as a top guy. Like, he proved that he was every bit as good as The Rock and Kayfabe, et cetera, all that good stuff. The fact that they gave them 23 minutes seemed like a Rock request, didn't it? Like, doesn't this seem like The Rock was like, I want to go out there and wrestle 20 minutes with the best in the world, and I want to show that I can do it. Yeah. Because this is wild. Like, like, matches at the Royal Rumble do not get 23 minutes. 
No. Um, yeah, I great performance by both guys. Like Rock, real bounce back after I feel like Cena had to carry him at WrestleMania, and for Punk, totally, totally legitimized himself as the champion. Like was absolutely on Rock's level here. Yeah. The ending does put a bad taste in my mouth to this day. I don't think you can ever do a restart finish that works. I don't. It feels a lot like the match he had with Benoit at Fully Loaded yeah. 2000, where it's just kind of like, that's such a shitty way to end this. But you know, it's so, such a fucking good match. It's a match I have so much fondness for. And I guarantee you that you guys have not watched this match since it originally aired, if at all. And you should. Yeah. You should give it a chance. No, I hadn't seen it. It's worth it. It, it holds up. It's the best of both of these guys. And they're yeah. both pretty good. <laughs> also, yeah, just fascinating to see The Rock work this style with Punk. It's every bit as interesting as when Triple H worked this style with Daniel yeah. Bryan. It's just like watching these Attitude Era dinosaurs like have fun wrestling a style they've never conceived of before. It's so awesome. Woo! Overall, pretty strong show. Um, another one where the Royal Rumble didn't quite deliver the way we were hoping it would. Yeah, I mean it's only 55 minutes, which I feel like that's the shortest Rumble since like the. It's night. one of the, it's one of the shorter ones. Yeah, I think it might be the shortest one since they did the one with the one minute intervals. Yeah, we're a long way from the the 40 man Rumble. It took like three hours to finish. But yeah, yeah. I, I love this show, top to bottom. It's it's fucking fascinating. It's interesting. It's such a great snapshot of this weird period we're in, of this year where everything is awesome and just like a fire has been lit under this company. And it's eventually going to lead us to WrestleMania 30, which is maybe the climax of this entire company's history. Yeah. And then it ends. Ooh. So next time we're going to get into a show I'm really looking forward to. It's... The 2018 Royal Rumble. Uh, this will, I believe, be the new record for the most recent show we've ever covered. Yes, it is. Um, so flashback three years and what feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, got this, a women's Royal Rumble? Yeah, the very first women's Royal Rumble, which has, of course, now become an annual event. Um, WWE debut of Ronda Rousey. Um uh, AJ Styles defends the WWE title against the best friends, Kevin Owens and uh, Sami Zayn. Uh, Kane versus uh, Brock Lesnar defends the Universal title against Kane and Braun Strowman for pretty inexplicable reasons. I think and, this is the last time Kane is ever relevant in any context. <laughs> God, was he really relevant at this point? Nope. So, yeah. Um, card with a lot of interesting things going on um all that and more next time on the law cast thank you for listening we'll see you again next time